Welcome to another episode of Downton Gabby, Life After Downton. It's our first episode of 2018, even though we're well into the second month. Thank you for your patience. We are so happy to be here. And this month we are discussing The Crown Season 2, as well as The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, now a Golden Globe winner. Uh, and one of us hated it. So start your bets now about who's the hater this time. It might surprise you. I'm Brandy in Los Angeles. I'm Shannon in Oakland. And I'm Teresa in Brooklyn. So a little roundup of news before we get into the main topics. Um, I just want to mention, because we have talked about Game of Thrones many times on this show, as we know and are mourning, the next season will be the last one. And just today as we're recording, um, David Benioff and D.B. Weiss were announced as the next big Star Wars directors, which is interesting. I saw a lot of complaining on Twitter about choosing not one, but two more white guys. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, it makes sense why they didn't want to keep doing more Game of Thrones. I figured they had to have something good, and maybe this means we won't get that awful Confederate show that nobody wants. Ooh, there's the bright side. Right? That was one of my first thoughts, Ugh. too. <laughs> yeah, that is a bright side. So that's, that's good. I'm glad that the internet killed that show. I want to take some credit for that. Uh, yeah. It was too. Yeah. The, the Hollywood Reporter piece was pretty funny because at the bottom it was just like, we've reached out to HBO for comment on the future of Confederate and received no response. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. But yeah, I mean, Twitter was just like, okay, so these guys are immediately going to like make the empire win. <laughs> <laughs> right. On a good note, did you all see the trailer for Westworld during the Super Bowl? Because it looks awesome. I actually haven't watched it yet. I completely forgot. I kind of literally slept through three quarters of the Super Bowl, which was actually fine because I just don't care. And I tuned in just in time to watch Tom Brady lose. So it was a great day for me. (laughs) And I ate a bunch of chicken wings. So it was a great day for me too. (laughs) Um, But no, I highly recommend checking out the trailer and it kind of caught me a little off guard because it starts with um that image of Maeve and her daughter holding hands which is like such a specific image from the show but when you're watching tv it was like and I saw that image and I was like wait everyone be quiet I think I know what this is and then it was this amazing Westworld trailer and I think we have a lot to look forward to the women in the next season so it starts in April Oh, that feels soon. That I think is soon. I didn't realize it was starting that soon. So that is very exciting news. Yeah. All right. I, I have to catch up on this because it will come as a surprise to no one that I have never seen the Super Bowl. So <laughs> I, I will find it elsewhere. Um, and then our last bit of roundup. Uh, we want to flash back and hear about your visit to the Downton Abbey experience. Well, everybody, uh, I went to the exhibit called the Downton Abbey Experience, which um, is in New York right now, and then is going to be going to other cities. And they have basically taken over this ginormous building and completely redone it as a museum multimedia experience of all things Downton. I, I don't want, I could talk for an hour about it, but I'm just going to give you a few <laughs> highlights. The first thing is, if it comes to your city, you should definitely go. Like, it's worth it. 
try to go at a time when it's not crowded because it was crazy crowded when I was there. But it's also really cool. And there are a lot of like actual room reconstructions from the show and dresses and sparkly headbands. And you see all the wedding dresses, um, lots of little artifacts, the letter that Matthew got when he was told he was the heir to mm. the uh, mm. Crawley uh, fortune. So the coolest thing, and the thing that I really did not think they were going to exhibit, was Lady Mary's contraceptive device. <laughs> I found it, oh my god, like, like the level of fan service in actually putting that into the exhibit just overwhelmed me. It's in the corner, like you have to look for it. It's in a drawer that you have to pull out, um, but it's there. It's in the paper bag that has the chemist's name on it. And I remember sitting there just like waiting for people to come by to make sure they looked at it because I was so excited that it was there. Now the downside of this is it was super crowded. And in that same area, they had an exhibit called Lady Mary's Suitors with a giant picture of Mr. Pamuk. And like people would come by and they would say, oh, is that the race car driver? And I would be like, no, <laughs> that's Mr. Get Pamuk. out of here. You're not Season one, fan. died in Mary's bed. Why are you here? Like they're just letting anybody into this exhibit. That was really, I just got so mad. Like the place is so crowded and they are letting people in who don't know who Mr. Pamuk is. So. God, what is this? Edith's wedding? They're letting everybody in. <laughs> standards. I mean, the standards. <laughs> but overall, it was really fun. And I, and I did end up buying mugs uh, that say Mrs. Patmore's Kitchen for my fellow Downton Gabbers and some other friends. And those. I drank my coffee out of that this morning. Awesome. I drank awesome. it out of this morning, too. Amazing. <laughs> we just so, knew. So it's, it's, it's great. It's fun. Um, it's worth the, I don't know, 30 or how many bucks it costs to go. Um, so if it comes to your city, definitely check it out. I just hope in my city that people have to pass a quiz to be in my group. So I don't want to listen yes. to any bullshit. I, I was like stationed by various exhibits just to explain to people what the fuck was going on. Because people really didn't know. And I'm just like the docent, you know, the unpaid docent in this exhibit. Amazing. So, yeah, it was amazing. Doing the Lord's work. <laughs> that is right. Okay, well, speaking of buildings that need docents, Buckingham Palace. <laughs> that was quite a transition. <laughs> it's been a few months. It's okay. It's all right. Traveling back in time to 1957 as we open The Crown Season 2, No More Churchill. <laughs> That's the subtitle. I <laughs> Uh, how do we feel about this? We were really worried. We, I think we mentioned on the podcast that we had heard that it was going to be more Philip-centric and had voiced our, uh, vehement denial and, uh, desire not to see more Philip. Strenuously protested. But I think there were a lot of good episodes and a lot that I wasn't interested in. How did you guys feel? Well, I'm in rare form today that I am not the hater. Um, on either show, so clue out there to the listeners, I'm not the hater. <laughs> Um, I loved season two. I just gobbled it up and it was a lot of Philip at certain times, but there was a lot of not Philip, which was great. And I loved all the history. I didn't know any of it. And my only complaint is more Princess Margaret, which is kind of always my wish. So 
I, I really enjoyed it. I'm, I mean, The Crown is like the perfect mix for me of royal family and fabulous clothes and history and Claire Foy. And, you know, for me, it's just, it's wonderful, even though it annoys me. And we can talk <laughs> about the things that really annoyed us. You know, I really love it. And uh, I look forward to the rest of it. And I do want to speak in defense of Philip a little bit. Whoa. Oh, whoa. Okay. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, the Philip storyline wasn't really my favorite, but I did appreciate, like, the whole storyline of him going on that trip really sort of made clear how much he hates sitting in that palace all day. Because seeing him on the ship in his baggy white shorts and his white knee socks, <laughs> like, he was so in his element. The men loved him. There was so much rapport. They were having such a great time. They had a beard growing contest. You can't do that in the palace. I mean, maybe a mustache growing contest. But <laughs> so I think that it was sort of instructive to me to see him really sort of enjoying himself, but also taking on these this leadership role and really just being in his element. I also really like Mike, even though Mike is like such a piece of shit. I really, I like, I like him somehow. Mm. I like Mike's wife taking them all down. Yeah, that's yeah, I that's all good that. too. Liking Mike doesn't mean I don't like his wife completely, you know, burning it down. But there, you know, there are things that really bug me, like the whole like taking Native women into their huts, right? Things yeah. like that, which just kind of made me sick to my stomach, to be perfectly honest. And I imagine that's what it was supposed to do. Well, that's what White Great Britain did for many. Many years. So, I mean, I think it is supposed to make you sick to your stomach. And I'm kind of happy they didn't shy away from it because you could easily, I mean, he's still alive. You could easily mm -hmm. have made this just more idyllic of, you know, this bro trip. And it was like, no, this was horrible what uh, this country and these guys did to, you know, Native groups. So I was happy they showed that. Um, and, yeah, it did show the life he gave up for her. And seeing him doubt, was it worth it, you know, to, to just yeah, sit in these stuffy rooms and follow 10 steps behind? I thought it was interesting to see that, you know, was it worth oh, it? Oh, cry me a river, Philip. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah, I didn't like it. And there, there was one scene where it's like this, they're on the ship still and he's getting some very serious call and he's dealing with what's going back on back home and then it the camera like pans back and he stands up and he's wearing those fucking shorts with the knee socks <laughs> and i was like you just ruined the whole scene those shorts and knee socks were just uh, uh, needed to cut away before we saw the full body shot um yeah i don't know and then i just felt so disappointed when we went back uh in his backstory in episode nine like i get what they were trying to do and the parallels with charles and this is all very important as far as like the dynasty of this family going forward but it's like i just don't care and also we have to see all of those nazis <laughs> <laughs> just how sorry am i supposed to feel that his family died when they were all nazis <laughs> I, that episode was was really just painful to watch because it was so not interesting. I mean, it is Prince Charles's origin story, so it's important if you care about the royal family in that way. But ugh. I think Charles has got to be like the most boring chapter of like any chapter of royal history I know, though. 
So, like, I'm not going to want to watch The Crown Series 2, Charles Never Gets to Wear the Crown. Like, I just don't care. <laughs> my, my, my favorite scene in that episode, though, was when Mountbatten comes up in his Rolls Royce limousine. And he and Charles eat, like, all sorts of Fortnum and Mason sort of sweets in the back seat. I was thinking, it's good to be rich. I can't believe was... you like that more than the building the wall. That was <laughs> thrilling. I, ugh, I hate all that macho bullshit, build a wall in the rain until it hurts kind of stuff. I hate that shit. So now we've done exactly what I don't want to do, which is focus on Philip. <laughs> Let's get to talking about Claire Foy and how fucking awesome she is. She just stuns when she's given so little to do. Right. I am so impressed with how much she can do when she literally has no lines in a scene and just has to, like, look confused. The The fact that she's such a good actress really sort of obscures the fact that her character has no inner life to speak of. You know, very little on the page. And she takes it and gives her life. And gives me life. Well, I think that's the problem that she's still alive. The source material is still alive. I think yeah. they're afraid to go too deep with her. That's the feeling I get. Yeah, I think we discussed that the first time when we discussed season one. And it's it's becoming more and more clear. Because now it's like she's been the queen for a while. You want to really like see her developing a philosophy, see her develop more strategies. And when you get like a little taste of that, like when she does mm -hmm. put her foot down and enact her plan with the president of Ghana, it's so good. And I know that they're dealing with real history, but also they're picking and choosing what to show and they can highlight more of that if they want to, for mm -hmm. sure. But I don't think that Peter Morgan really wants to take a stand. Right. I have heard that the queen is a fan of the show. Really? <laughs> yeah, her grandkids have shown it to her. Mm -hmm. Oh, really? Prob she's probably like, damn, they cast a babe. <laughs> yeah, <totally. laughs> yeah, both her and Queen Victoria have been recast in very attractive <laughs> versions of themselves. I was, I was so distracted by that during the whole Jackie O episode because I was like, actually, Claire Farr is prettier than oh, the actress who cast O was terribly cast. The actress who played... Jackie, uh, by the way, is the star of the Canadian series Bomb Girls, if anybody watches that on Netflix. And she wasn't recognizable at all, but... I did um, not. I have watched is. Bomb Girls, and I did not recognize yeah. her at all. Wow. She's huh. the rich young woman. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I did not... She looks prettier in Bomb Girls. I don't yeah, know what she they does. did to her. The wig didn't work. I don't know. Mm -mm. But I just... I mean, I don't know. I don't feel like I've seen that... I didn't watch that Jackie movie. I'm not like a Jackie O fanatic, so I, I don't know how well she acted like Jackie O. I thought the whole story... I, I feel like the stories that they chose to focus on in history, I found very interesting. Like, I didn't yeah. know any of this history. I mean, I thought the whole stuff about her uncle being connected to the Nazis and this... You know, I mean, I love a historical thriller, meaning there's a piece of writing from history and is it going to come <laughs> to light? I love shit like that. It's like, I mean, it's almost as bad as the note getting passed around Downton, but whatever. <laughs> Will they find the letter in the book that says he really is the heir? Yeah, no, I love this stuff. So, I mean, that episode to me was one of my favorites because it was like, wow, I didn't know any of this. And so I was just, it was a really well done history lesson. You know, I, I, I know the story of 
Edward being a Nazi, and and I still really loved it. It's my favorite episode, actually, of the whole season. And I liked really it because well it was such a, like, a really well-focused, well-written thriller, in a way. And you really did get to focus on Elizabeth trying to, you know, again, choose between her family and the crown. And, mm-hmm. you know, she has a sort of a close relationship with her uncle and sort of getting past that and growing up and doing her due diligence. I loved watching all of that. And I loved watching her final conversation with him, too. It's just it's very I mean, they're great actors. They they did a beautiful job with it. You guys, I'm going to say something shocking. I didn't think Matthew Good was that attractive in this show, mm. in the Princess Margaret episode. What happened to him? He's okay. Yeah. No, no Mr. Yum Yum here. I just don't think he had quite the level of chemistry that he had with Michelle Dockery. Okay. Mm-hmm. But I, I liked him. And I think that I do think that it was supposed to be a little bit more distant because Princess Margaret on some level doesn't know what she's getting into, right? Right. Or she mm-hmm. thinks she can handle it. Maybe she can't. Like, I, I actually was disappointed they didn't return more to them later in the season. I agree. Because I thought that episode Barrel was really stellar and um, not for nothing, the only episode of the whole series that's been co-written by a woman <laughs> I thought was wow. the best episode they've ever done by far I was like thank god good job Amy Jenkins but yeah it, I just thought it was so weird that they had such a, a great start to their story and I was expect I guess I was expecting a third episode to really bring it home after their courtship their wedding and then ugh, it's just kind of an afterthought that they are married now and having kids I agree that was a big misstep because, well, A, Princess Margaret's one of the best characters, and she's one of the best actresses on the show. I mean, she's just so charismatic. It's like, give her more screen time. Like, I'm so fascinated by her. I do agree, though, that there's not much chemistry between the two of them. Yeah. Like, they do everything possible to manufacture chemistry on screen, but I don't quite buy it. I don't some and they're both very sexy people, but yeah, I think yeah. like you just either you got the chemistry or you don't. Like I really thought it was gonna work, and it does enough for me to buy the story. But it, it yeah, it's not like whew, like it was on Downton Abbey when every time he stepped on the screen. Yeah, I was just like, are they? His hair was a little lighter. I was like, is that it? <laughs> is it the clothes? But I'm like, what's going on? What? I don't know. We thought he was sexy when he wore that stupid leather helmet on. Oh, my God. <laughs> I know. That was better than how this... He had really good chemistry with the married couple that he was hanging out with. Right. That was pretty I great. Mean, those three were pretty sizzling, I think, far more than him and Margaret. And, I, and, you know, to be fair, Margaret wants him when she finds out that um, Peter Townsend is getting married... And mm-hmm. he wants Margaret because he thinks it's going to impress his mother. Right. So yeah. their it motivations works. are mm-hmm. are complicated. And in that <clears throat> sense, I think it does work. I agree. I just, you know, this show could use a little sex. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah, totally. I'm really sad to say goodbye to this cast, though. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm excited, you know, for the new Elizabeth. But I'm really going to miss this cast. I felt, like, sad on the last episode. I was like, oh, no. Well, but but we've got some great people coming up. Olivia Coleman is fantastic. I'm actually really curious because um, Paul Bettany is actually like one of my favorite actors, and I feel like now it's going to be really interesting to watch Philip. Like I feel like my feelings are going to change just because I like the actor so much more. Again, I don't dislike Matt Smith, but just like Paul Bettany, I really love. 
And are they still doing Helena Bonham Carter as Princess Margaret? I don't know. Yes, they are. Yep. I have some issues with that. Because she's completely wrong for the role? Is that (laughs) maybe your issue? Like, because Princess Margaret isn't some weird, crazy person from a fairy book? Or something it's like i i hate that casting i don't think it's good and i mean i've seen helena bottom carter play straight period roles you know i've seen a room with a view and stuff mm-hmm. like that but yeah. like it just it doesn't seem right for her no matter what even in her like more normal quote-unquote persona there's something else too i feel like she's too famous yeah like, like i think the crown achieves this really nice level of like well-known solid actors but not like movie stars yeah and I think she's just she's gonna have to do a really good job hiding all that Helena Bottom Carter stuff you know under her bouffant and crown because it's really hard not to see her it's it's the issue I had with John Lithgow to tell you the truth yeah, um, yeah. But I think more than that, like, there's just there's just um, an intrinsic sharpness to her that I think isn't right for the role. Because Princess Margaret is putting on that sharp right. vibe, right? It's, it's armor. It's not really who she really is. I just don't know if I'm going to buy the vulnerability that you need. I don't know. Maybe she's going to surprise me. She's certainly a very talented actress, so, I mean, we'll see, but... It'll be really interesting. Well, we're going to have to watch her on the Caribbean island of Mystique having affairs with all of the Rolling Stones, possibly at the same time. <laughs> I am looking forward to that. I mean, I yeah. did some Wikipedia of Princess Margaret, and I was like, ooh, the best is yet to come. One more thing before we move on from this. Um, as we pass a good chunk of time, I think like eight years over the course of this season, we see two more pregnancies from Elizabeth. And I was really frustrated with the way that they depicted those as just kind of like, oh, ladies have more babies to show the passage of time. And we get so little of hers or Margaret's feelings about motherhood um, or about anything related to that other than just how the public is going to have it announced to them. It's really weird to me. Yeah, and that's interesting because um, I'm watching the second season of Victoria right now, which I think, Teresa, you're watching as well. Yeah. And um, it's much better than season one. And it's really interesting because they delve into her experiences of her pregnancy. She's really angry that she gets pregnant right away after her first baby. And she's like, I want to rule. And people are really, like, pushing me into a room to just be sequestered instead of rule because I'm pregnant. And then even after she gives birth, we see her go through some postpartum stuff and kind of like, I don't really Mm -hmm. care about this baby, but I'm supposed to. And like, I thought they did a really good job of delving into it. It was really interesting. What did you think, Therese? Yeah, I thought it was really great. Actually, it's my favorite thing about the season because on one hand, they're dealing with, you know, Victoria as a woman who doesn't want to be pregnant all the time and is really not that interested in being a mother. And at the same time, the other part of it is because she's queen and she gets pushed into her confinement, mm-hmm. Albert takes over gleefully. And I think she feels like every time she gets pregnant, she's sort of shunted off and he gets to be king, basically. Yeah. And she's incredibly threatened by this, and understandably, because she is the queen. And it's all sort of done for her own good, you know? So 
So just watching her deal with being a queen and being a mother and trying to make those two work together. And a wife. And a wife, yeah. Because she's, she's very sexually attracted to her husband. I mean, they had nine kids. Yeah. I couldn't believe that when I read <laughs> on Wikipedia. But, you oh, know, yeah. she's a woman that you look at and you're like, man, she would have loved birth control. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> hey, there's a there's a reason that Elizabeth I uh, remained a quote-unquote virgin. Yeah. I mean, she wanted to rule. She didn't want a guy yeah. around trying to take yeah. her power away from her. She didn't want to be you know, stuck with kids or dying in childbirth. Yeah. You know, there there are reasons for this. So it's very interesting in in her time that she's really pushing against a lot of traditions of what women do when they're pregnant. She wants to go out. She wants to be seen. She doesn't like the idea of being in confinement because she is the queen and she wants to queen. That's pretty yeah. cool. I have to say about Victoria, a good friend of mine is a expert on uh, Victorian England and she like she really hates the show (laughs) she's like Victoria was never that pretty she was never that nice and she was never that smart poor poor historians well I would push back she doesn't seem that smart on the show but uh definitely they made it for TV. Let's just put yeah. it that way. She was a mean, mean woman. But I do like that they are showing some of her. I mean, she was, you know, vocal about she didn't she didn't like being pregnant. She didn't like breastfeeding. She didn't like babies. Like, she was really open about all that. And she was just born in a time where she didn't have a choice. I think all of that makes me even more disappointed in how they handle this on The Crown. Especially because the brittleness of Elizabeth and Philip's relationship is so central and yet it's like okay well they have to be intimate to have another pregnancy and it seems like they just treat it like a light switch like oh Elizabeth decides she wants to have another baby and then she just gets pregnant I'm like that's I mean what what's going on there like what is their actual sex life like would be an interesting thing to delve into and I think another thing the show just isn't uh isn't willing to go there well, in the My Uncle is a Nazi episode, they do hint at it at the end where Philip has been getting drunk with the Queen Mother right. and um, Mustache. <laughs> What's his name? Tommy. <laughs> Tommy Lasels. And he shows up in the bedroom drunk and he's just like making eyes at her and, you know, right. they're going to make another baby. I think something more of that would be interesting. And also when she sort of confronts him about his behavior that's another huge risk that is never mentioned is that he could get somebody pregnant. And Mm -hmm. and it's weird to me that that seems to to never really be explored as a consequence. Well, it is written by a man. So uh, (laughs) let's just keep that in mind. They let, you know, one woman write part of one episode about a woman's journey. So What if Queen Elizabeth has, like, extremely detailed memoirs that are, like, published the day after my death? <laughs> well, that's the thing about Queen Victoria. She wrote a journal, like, every day. So that's where they have a lot, they got a lot of the materials. She wrote all these journals. Anyways, right. I love season two of The Crown. Me too, I'm me too. really excited for season three. I'm sad. Not as much Claire, well, no Claire Foy. I have to accept it. <laughs> There's going to be no Claire Foy. Maybe there'll be a flashback. <laughs> <laughs> and do you guys know what her next role is? The girl with the dragon tattoo. Yeah, weird. <laughs> yeah. What? Just hard left. Yeah. I don't understand that. Yeah. 
<laughs> I, I can't wait because it's so, I can't imagine it. It's going to truly be surprising. All right. Well, similar time period, but skipping across the pond, 1958 New York, an extremely historically accurate representation <laughs> of Jews in Manhattan <laughs> in The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel from Amy Sherman Palladino, who's going to reveal themselves as the hater. I'm going to bide my time. You guys talk first. (laughs) Well, I'm going to say I thoroughly enjoyed this. And this is probably my first um, Amy Sherman Palladino show that I've liked in its entirety. I never got into Gilmore Girls. And I like parts of Bunheads. But this was the first one that I really liked. And I think it's because there was not as much of the fast talk, 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 talk. I mean, she does it in her bits. But it was like more character development and more a character's talking to each other instead of like, I'm just going to say one-liner jokes over and over again. Um, So I really liked Mrs. Maisel and I absolutely love the unlikely duo friendship mentorship with Susie. That's what did it for me. Yeah, that's the highlight of the show for sure. Um, I, I liked the show. I just, I found it not bingeable at all. Like it's, it's got such a specific and really intense tone Intense is not even the right word. Just, like, I could not watch more than maybe an episode and a half, actually. Like, couldn't even get through two episodes at a time before I was just like, okay, this is, like, too much in my head right now. The way that they talk. All of the, like, oy vey kind of things going on. Um, Rachel Brosnahan is great. And I think it's a really strong character. I think she's extremely well drawn. She has really obvious flaws. (laughs) that are very consistent over the course of the season i guess i just i just was frustrated by some of the i don't know some of the choices that they make that are like too cutesy and part of it is like having lenny bruce be a real character it's it's hard for me to explain some of the stuff that i didn't like about the show i also thought her relationship with her mom was really irritating to me but then it would turn around and it would have like some amazing scene with Susie and I would be all drawn back in again. So, I mean, I'm definitely going to watch season two for sure. Well, there's a lot of worlds. So, I mean, I think it's, you know, she, she operates between a lot of worlds. Like I never liked anything in the department store, you know, but I loved all the comedy scene stuff and I liked her family stuff, but not Joel's family stuff. You know, I think it's like, yeah, it's easy to pick and choose what parts you like because they're really different. Okay. So... <laughs> So, okay, so full disclosure, first of all, I've watched the first four episodes, I think, for the good of the podcast, and I have really (laughs) been giving a lot of thought to why I loathe this show so much. Like, I actively hate it. It's not like, oh, it's fine, but I don't really have time for it right now. Maybe I'll catch up with it later. Like, I really actively dislike the show, and I actively dislike Midge. I like Rachel Brosnahan. I think she's a fine actress, but this character that they've created for her is like nails on a chalkboard for me. And, <laughs> and you know, more full disclosure, I am a Jew living in New York. <laughs> and, and I really, really dislike all the Yiddishkeit, which is basically like this Jewish way of life, Upper West Side, kind of mm-hmm. overbearing, overwhelming 
So wait, do Jews not use brisket for currency? <laughs> you know, it's like they've thrown everything at it, you know? Like, like sure, there is a lot of things there that, like, on their own are like, yeah, that's, you know, sort of part of it. But they've thrown everything at this show, like every possible stereotype, every mm -hmm. possible weird interaction. Ugh, you know, Joel's parents are so horrible, I can't even watch them. They're yeah, like Joel's a, parents are really bad. They're a stereotype of a stereotype, you know? Mm -hmm. And they're not charming and they're not cute. <laughs> like it's there's nothing cute about it. They're they're repellent. Um, and I think they're meant to be repellent, frankly. I don't I feel like it's verging on like Jewish minstrel show with those two. It's really painful for me when yeah. they come on the screen. It's it's painful. But even Midge, like and this isn't about her being Jewish or not Jewish. Just there's something about Midge's character that's confusing to me. Like, I don't find her charming. From the very first speech she gives at her wedding, I'm like, I don't want to spend time with this person. She's really irritating. And and it, that never really lets up. The character I really love on the show is Susie. I think Susie is great. I would watch a show about Susie and her crazy comic clients, you know? But, mm -hmm. but Midge, and I don't understand Midge. I don't understand what her deal is like is she writing jokes or does she just get up on the stage and she's like some kind of idiot savant of comedy and all of these lines just come to her and this is her whole thing so you didn't finish the season so the second to last episode you get to see her working on jokes and see her refining okay. it so it is her okay. talking from a real life but she is like tightening the jokes that was a good montage yeah but I do think it does start out like that and I think it could have used a little more explanation I think you're right like to me what I interpreted it as was like Midge didn't even realize how much she was being held inside by this persona she was putting on you know in the pilot we see her like taking her measurements and doing everything for her husband and all of this and when the real her kind of bursts out when her life goes to shit and she gets drunk, like she stuns even herself at the, you know, afterwards she's like, I didn't do that. What are you talking about? And I feel like the show could have gone further with that and like why she wants to keep pursuing it because at some point it's just like, because Susie says she's good at it. And I don't think that that should be the real reason. Like, and it's also like, why were you, seeing your husband do this this whole time and it never occurred to you that you could have done it. I mean, I'm not sure the show goes deep enough with her decision to do this really hard thing. I mean, being a stand-up is a lot of work and mm -hmm. really emotionally draining. Like, I have a lot of friends who do it here in LA and it's not just something you do as a lark after you put the kids to bed, like the show kind of depicts it some days. So... I did have some issues with that, but Rachel Brosnahan really sells it a lot. I think her performance holds together the show mm -hmm. a lot. Yeah, I think that's the fundamental departure for me, is that I don't like this character, and I don't get this character. And four shows in, I, I want to see some kind of development, and I don't see it. I see she's the same person as she was at the end of the first episode, and she's still sort of, oops, I'm on stage. Let me tell you about yeah. all my life and these dirty jokes. And, oh, I'm now I'm getting arrested. Oh, it's Lenny Bruce, my BFF. <laughs> that is her Quote, unquote, Lenny so. Bruce. Um, yeah, which also really bothers me because why is she friends with Lenny Bruce? Like, 
It's like, <laughs> do we not understand who Lenny Bruce is? He's not friends yeah. with Mitch Maisel. Yeah. And it's a shame because um, she and that actor, Luke something, I'm, I'm uh, forget his name, but he was also on Rectify, which is like my favorite yeah. show that no one else watched. Yeah. Right. Um, I love him. Love him. I th- I just want them to make out, but they can't because he's Lenny Bruce, and in seven years he's gonna die of an overdose or whatever. You know. Um, Spoiler yeah, alert. I, I mean, didn't know that. <laughs> I mean, the more you see Teresa, the more I'm like, yeah, you will really hate the back half of the series because I think it it's about her sort of sliding backwards more than developing forwards. <laughs> you know, I like I like her relationship with Susie. I think they have really good chemistry. And I like the Lenny Bruce character if it wasn't actually Lenny Bruce because <laughs> <laughs> that just, just bugs me so much. So, And I love the clothes. I mean, I love looking at it. It looks fabulous. For me, there's a fundamental problem with the character of Midge, the way she's portrayed, the way she's developed, the way she's not developed, the way she speaks, all of it. It's... it's, <laughs> it's <laughs> If Midge isn't working for me, nothing can work for me, you know? Right. Yeah. She's she's in, like, every scene. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. She is. Um, I mean, I think, you know, the limitations felt, and even the limitations of the mother, felt really realistic to me of the time. Um, it's like, I just kept thinking, like, oh, she's a more charming Betty Draper who's really trying to do something on her own, and everyone in her life is going to stop her from doing that, including herself. Because the messages are so loud and clear that, you know, independence and having her own art in her own career is not for her. And there's no room in this world for that, for a woman to do that. So a lot of that rang true for me. So I didn't rate it as harsh a curve. You mean for the mom? I'm talking about for Midge. But for the mom, I mean, I know you had issues with the mom being so obsessed with Midge. But it was like... I mean, she talks about, like, having three kids under 30, and she talks so much about, like, the timeline and the script of what is expected of women, and it was like, I mean, they're living in the same building as their daughter. They, they're, her whole life is her daughter. She is nothing else. She's a son that apparently they don't care about. <laughs> right. Because he can go away, and she can't. Midge can't, you know? Because she needs someone to watch the kids. And... I guess... You know, I guess my I just get frustrated because I think that part of the reason that that we can say like, oh, that's just how women were at that time is because of media that portray them that way. Like, I just kind of don't believe that she wouldn't have anything else going on. <laughs> I, I mean, even just as a as a personal want or, or as some other kind of vision of herself that could never be like I just kind of don't believe you never see her reading a book you never see her doing anything it's just a little frustrating for me like yes society was holding women back but I I think it was society and it feels very internal to this character which bothers uh, me she did do something on her own she goes to her fortune she went teller. To the psychic. yes <laughs> which was not acceptable everyone was giving her shit about it so she did okay, have a little something enough. Uh, I don't. I don't think she was as underdrawn, and I think that her and her daughter. I love the moments where they're like doing shots of sherry together, and they get mad at the the dad together. And it was just like, as an only child, I totally got like the parents being so focused on her because it's just by nature of a triangle. It's just what happens. (laughs) And you know, I think that her being like so hurt later, you know, when they're at um, the synagogue, her being so hurt was like. 
her saying like, I have made you the center of my life and you haven't made me the center of yours. And it was like so hurtful to her. But I wonder if we're going to see, you know, her open up more and go after her own life because she was very disappointed by the father and by Midge kind of at the end of the that season. So I wouldn't be surprised if we get more of an independent journey of her in the second one. You might be right. And part of it might too be like the two scenes you just mentioned in Temple and drinking those shots of sherry, both did something that always like seriously distracts me, which is everybody can hear them. Oh, I <laughs> and they're know. acting like nobody can. And this is something Bob, like shows do this all the time and I know I should just get over it, but it is so distracting to me. I'm like, they, they, I, it's all I can think about. They can hear you in the other room. I totally <laughs> agree. Or like, you're being an asshole. Like, I can't even have, like, I can't care about what's hurting you right now because you're being such an asshole to everybody else in the temple by yelling at them. Right. <laughs> and you know, you know what the scene is that's gonna happen next season is that her mother or father or both are going to see her do stand up. And I think they're ultimately going to be proud of her, you know, and I think we're moving towards that moment and I think they are going to accept her. I hope so. I just want to put it out there to all writers out there. Like you don't have to show people whispering in a movie theater. I agree. Or ruining <laughs> somebody's school play or whatever. Yeah. Pick a different place for them to have that conversation because once you make them that asshole that's ruining everybody else's night, I'm so <laughs> not invested in their emotions anymore. I'm just pissed. <laughs> now I have to tell you, knowing that, that there is a scene of them in Temple, I pretty much guarantee that Midge's mom is a member of the sisterhood at the Temple. So she's doing that. She's planning some sort of charity event. She's doing yeah, something. Yeah, they mentioned like a garden party or something. Mm -hmm. like, there's definitely like mentions of this. I think they just they just don't get into it. And I, I also like I really like that actress, um, Marin Hinkle, and she's also a recurring character playing the principal on Speechless, and she's super funny on that show. I hope you're right. I hope she gets more to do in season two. Do you want to talk very briefly about Joel? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> Go away. You don't even want to know what they do with Joel in the last episode. Yeah. Okay. You don't even want us okay. to tell you. Yeah. Like. Yeah. He he really he struck me as that guy in Unreal, the cameraman in Unreal that they felt like they had to bring back for season two for right. no reason at all except to irritate me. Well, it, it is very perplexing that they don't set up any character as a potential love interest for Midge Ugh. in this first season. Are people rooting for them to get back together? Are there are there like fan groups out there that are like totally, you know, shipping Joel and Midge to like get back to Is there anybody who thinks that's a good thing? I hope they're not listening if they do. You can you can ship her and Susie if you want, but I mean, yeah. Also a love interest for Susie would be great. Yeah. I mean, not that love interests are everything. But yeah. come on, that would be an interesting storyline. Totally. So one of my favorite scenes, just to give, say something positive, is the scene where she and Midge are at the diner and Lenny Bruce shows up and Susie's like, do you know who that is? That's Lenny Bruce. And then he comes over and he's like BFFs with Midge and like Susie's like, what is going on? And that scene is like the whole reason they did it. Except for his name could have been like Manny Bruce. Right. And we would have gotten it. Right. right. Benny Luce would be, would be fine. Exactly. Well, we will watch season two, and we will let you know how infuriating it is. <laughs> we won't make you watch it. Okay. I could get really bored and just want to hate watch it. 
I mean, don't you want to see them celebrate all the Jewish high holidays? Oh my god. <laughs> it's so unnecessary. I don't know why. That's just so Amy Sherman Palladino. She just goes over the top. She, it's like she can't yep. stop herself. Yeah. But let's talk about things that we are enjoying watching, all of us, individually, in our own taste, <laughs> with one fabulous thing. <laughs> Well, I'm going to pull a Shannon and actually pick a book. Whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> uh, yes, twist. I started reading the Stone Sky series, I think it's called, by N.K. Jemisin. The first one is the fifth season, and it is so good. I mean, it's, I mean it won the Hugo in the sequel, won the Hugo last year, so this is not like a shock, but... The, there was like a bit of a controversy, quote unquote, because she's a black woman who won the Hugo two years in a row. And of course, a bunch of fanboys were pissed about it, which is one of the reasons why I was like, I got to read this book if the fanboys are pissed about it. <laughs> um, and if you like really intricate fantasy worlds, pick this one up because it's and it's really hard to explain because it's like nothing I've ever read before and I actually read it with three other friends and two of them had finished it and kept messaging us and being like, finish the freaking book because we have like so much to talk about, but I can't even like explain it until you've read the whole thing. There's like no way to even discuss it until you've read the whole thing. So that's all I'm going to say is if you're anywhere into that kind of genre, get it. The hype is real. She is an incredible writer. I can't wait to read the rest of the series. And it's a great winter read too. You can just dig into it. Well, I kind of already talked about mine, but I'll talk about it again, which is season two of Victoria. Lots of sparkly headbands, which is a plus, of course, <laughs> for me. And I feel like they're just really gelling in the second season. I'm really enjoying the character development and kind of just learning more about the time and her role in it. And I really loved her uh, approach to not being happy about being pregnant. I mean, and actually the marvelous Mrs. Maisel, she also wasn't very happy about that being a mother either. So I guess it's a theme of all the shows we've talked about. <laughs> um, but I'm, I'm really enjoying it. It's a, it's a great distraction from real life. So my one fabulous thing is currently my favorite show on television, which has just finished its second season, called The Good Place. Do either of you watch The Good Place? I just binged it all, actually, over the course of like five days I watched all of it. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. So it's created by Michael Schur, who created Parks and Recreation. He created Brooklyn Nine-Nine. He was a writer on The Office. He's like so weird. And uh, this is a completely weird series that takes place uh, in, quote unquote, The Good Place, which is kind of like heaven, sort of. It stars Kristen Bell and Ted Danson. Um, whatever you think this show is going to be and do, it will completely upend your expectations it has these incredible characters, uh, and at the end of both season one and season two, the entire show basically turns inside out and completely resets. And um, I, I find it just exhilarating. I find the writing exhilarating. I find the acting completely delightful. The show takes all kinds of crazy risks. Yeah. To me, it's just really so smart and fun and wonderful. The show was really fun. I will say one of the reasons I binged it so quickly is because I was fucking irritated with Twitter being like, oh my god, it's blew, it blew me away. And I was like, fine, let me catch up on the fucking good place. <laughs> um, I already knew what the season one twist was going to be before I started it. Oh, but I did, um, I did enjoy it anyway. 
Um, it is very funny. I don't think it's nearly as funny as Brooklyn Nine-Nine, though, I will confess. Like, I think it's weird that people are worshipping it for how funny it is when I'm like... Ah, I laugh more in the friggin' cold open of Brooklyn Nine-Nine <laughs> than I do in a whole episode of The Good Place. But I do still like it. The cast is very good. I love the guy who plays Cheaty, even though I mm -hmm. fucking hate philosophy. So maybe that's like... <laughs> One of the reasons why the show pisses me off, too, in some ways, because I'm like, stop talking about philosophy. This whole show is like <laughs> philosophy jokes, like two seasons of philosophy jokes, I which just, is just amazing. Oh, my God. I hate philosophy and people who study philosophy. So sorry. I totally get it. I totally get it. But Kristen Bell is fantastic. Ted Danson is fantastic. I mean, it's definitely super worth watching. The season two finale was really fun. Um, it wasn't quite as absolutely mind-blowing as people were tweeting about, but, um, no. you know, I give it a, I give it a B plus. Okay. Well, um, if, if you want something a little bit more offbeat in your, uh, weekly comedy, um, I do suggest you check it out. Don't listen to all the hype. Just watch it and enjoy its unbelievable weirdness. Yeah. And in Ted Danson, you know, it's just like. Who I love. He, he's a gem. He's a gem. I love him. And I, I mean, shout out to the girl who plays Janet. I forget uh, what her name is. Darcy, but when I first Darcy Carden. When I first moved here, I saw her at like the free midnight shows at UCB a bunch of times. Like, and now it's like, oh, you made the big time. <laughs> yeah. And she is a delight. My track record with network comedy is not good, but I will... It's really impressive. You know, I think the thing that impresses me the most is that it's a fantasy show, essentially, mm -hmm. doing sitcom format. And, like, for that to be um, really long-term successful storytelling and be really connecting with people, I can't I can't really think of another example that fits in. Right. Um, it's really bold. I, yeah. I enjoy that about it a lot. I, these are completely different shows, but I feel that the level of sort of risk-taking and originality is sort of the way I feel about Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. Yeah, also. sure. Like, they've been sustaining this thing, <laughs> and it's, you know, more or less been working. And these are both shows that are really taking risks every single week with the form, with the writing, <laughs> with the characters, everything. So, yeah. Thank you for listening to another episode of Downton Gabby. You can find us on Facebook by searching Downton Gabby, on Twitter at Downton Gabby, or this episode and all of our back episodes at DowntonGabby.tumblr.com. Don't tell me not to live, just sit and putter. Life's candy and the sun's a ball of butter. Don't bring around a cloud to rain on my If someone takes a spill, it's me and not you. Who told you you're allowed to rain on my parade? How much am I bend out? I'll beat my drum. And if I'll bend out, your turn at that, sir. At least I didn't fake it, hat, sir. I guess I didn't.